Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And people say cartoons were so much better before they were 30 minute toy commercials. Here to disprove that, we've got Danger Mouse. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> we're going to make Mike cry by the end of this episode. No, no, no. You're not going <laughs> to make him cry. He says Cherry Dr. Popper and Dark Rum. Why? Why does it cry? <laughs> That's upsetting. No, this this week, Danger Mouse. They remade it. Yes, they did. For reasons. They did a thing. They remade it. We came up with, well, I suggested this idea because I saw that there was a remake and was like, hey. That's what we do. <laughs> I watched this show all the time as a kid and I loved it. Lay your bets now, folks. <laughs> On how this usually goes for us. We're on fire! (laughs) (laughs) If you like things on fire, you might like the fire shows on the Podcast Collective. Such as the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour with our own Joel. The Internet with Scott the (laughs) Footboy. The Dog and Deuce Show. The Portland Beer Club Podcast. And of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Yikes. More and more, I'm wondering, what, what instrument are you playing? It started off as a guitar. The, I, the, fell, I fell into a coma. What happened? The bonephoner? The bonephoner? The bonephoner. Bonephoner. Don't press what? him for details. <laughs> do, you, do, do you pluck or blow that? Yes. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, if you want some more of this, <laughs> iTunes plod, podcast, Apple Podcaster, podcasting. <laughs> That's what we're doing right we now. We're definitely podcasting. Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk to Podverse FM, Noon FM, all the podcasting places. Go to Podchaser, leave us a review. And uh, go to our Facebook page. You can click and not call us, but click on the the contact us link on the Facebook page, and you can join our Discord chat. You can still all call sorts us of crazy though. stuff. <laughs> yeah, call us seven zero eight six six nine nine seven two seven seven zero eight. Now wrap if numbers are not your thing. Yeah, yeah, we haven't had voicemails in ages. But we have a lot of talking going on. On in fact, there was a little conversation about. 
everything from Zippo lighters to what else? The are we Hell Bunny. About? Yeah, oh, oh, yes. the Hell Bunny made a resurgence. Well, it's about that time, you know, around Easter, the Hell Bunny comes around, decides to use its fleshy-looking human hands to bring you Easter baskets, shitty eggs, sadness. Jesus, it is about that time. <laughs> Fear. This week in music, movies, and TV. It's smart. Ah. All right. So this week, Patrick has chosen for reasons unknown, September 28th, 1981. My guess is it's because it's the release of the pilot of Danger Mouse. Good guess. Yeah, that's a really good guess. I'm good like that. Yeah, smart. Smart. All right. Uh, music. The number one song in the land was Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie in the midst of a nine-week run. Yep. So, Patrick, what do you think about that song? It exists. Hmm. That, that song sucks. Yeah, I think... And I'm not just saying that just to be controversial. It really is just not a very good song. It's just... I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. So moving on. On September 26, Iron Maiden hired Samson lead singer Bruce Bruce, a.k.a. Bruce Dickinson, in the middle of a tour to replace Paul Diano as lead singer due to Diano's cocaine and amphetamine addictions and made it impossible for him to perform some concerts. Dickinson finished off the last seven dates of the Killer World Tour and was Iron Maiden's lead singer until he left in 1983 to pursue a solo career. How'd that work out for him? He's still making music. Oh. Hmm. I'd say not too shabby. I actually didn't realize Iron Maiden had two different singers. Three. Hmm. Because they had to replace him after he left. Did they get the guy off YouTube? I don't know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They had to plod through a bunch of people. What what do you mean? Uh, wait, what do you what do you know about did they actually have to get somebody off YouTube for? Do you... No, that's what Journey did. Yeah. They found uh, a, a Korean guy off of YouTube. That is so weird to see him sing. Right. And he sounds just like Steve Perry. Yes. If you squint. He kind of looks like him. Not really. Not, not really. Way that was, All right, I'm moving lie. on. Uh, nope, I'm moving on. Shh, shh, nope, that, that's, moving one on. Of pa- that's one of Patrick's uh, pickup lines. If you squint, I can look like anybody. Exactly. <laughs> if you turn the lights off, I'll feel like any. Well, no, not really. If you yet. squint, <laughs> I look like uh, Val Kilmer in Real Genius. If you open your eyes, I look like Val Kilmer now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you into Val Kilmer? <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh Joel that is the most dickish thing I've heard you say in a long time and it's amazing I'm Bruce Dickinson <laughs> this is Iron Maiden <laughs> anyway alright <laughs> moving on to this giant behemoth of a paragraph in- yeah but I think Jesus. she's pretty important so Whew. I tried to edit it down believe it or not All right, so Hazel Scott was a Trinidadian-born jazz and classical pianist, singer, and actor. 
she was an activist and an acclaimed performing artist from the 1930s till her death. When she was four, Hazel and her mother moved to New York City, and she earned scholarships from the age of eight to study at the Juilliard School. She began performing in a jazz band in her teens and was a prominent jazz singer throughout the 1930s and 1940s. In 1950, she became the first black American to host her own TV variety show, The Hazel Scott Show. Scott had long been committed to civil rights, particularly in Hollywood. As an outspoken critic of racial discrimination and segregation, she used her career and fame in the U.S. to improve the representation of black Americans in film. She insisted on having final cut privileges when it came to her appearance and required control over her own wardrobe so that she could wear her own clothing if she felt that the studio's choices were unacceptable. Scott also refused to perform in segregated venues when she was on tour. She was once escorted from a venue by authorities because she refused to perform when she discovered that the seating was segregated. With the advent of the Red Scare, Hazel Scott's name was listed as a communist, communist sympathizer, excuse me, and she appeared before the HUAC to read a prepared statement denouncing the claims. Her television variety program was canceled a week after that appearance. To evade political fallout, Scott moved to Paris in the late 1950s and did not return to the U.S. until 1967. Scott continued to play occasionally in nightclubs while also appearing in daytime television until cancer got her on October 2nd. Why'd you have to got her gotcha. until cancer segregated <laughs> her from life in <laughs> October 7th. That's better. No. Yeah. How is that better? That's definitely not better. Nope. Yeah. She's a pretty important person. I thought it, she deserved a big paragraph. Yeah. They had a double whammy there. Cause not only was she African-American, well, Trinidadian, she was also a female and they have her own show in 1950. That's crazy. Yeah. So good on her. Yep. All right. Finally, the Rolling Stones begin their 40-day Tattoo U tour at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, playing before a crowd of 90,000 people. The album consisted of studio songs and deleted tracks from earlier in the band's career, called together to facilitate the tour as the band wanted a tour but didn't have time to record an album of all new songs beforehand. Should have called it the Lazy Town Tour. <laughs> it was still a very successful album. Yes, it was. I remember that one, actually. It's one band I've still never seen in concert. Huh. Yeah, me either. That was Sarah's first concert, as we went over in the uh, concert show. Yep. I almost got to see him. Remember that little bitty coffee shop that I used to work at, uh, Josh? The one that had the sign that said, no loitering? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the owner of that was a huge Rolling Stones fan, and they were in Chicago that summer. They had issue with the fact that I went to Concordia, and I quit before. Apparently, they had a party where they were going in two weeks, and everybody at the store went to go see the Rolling Stones with her. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't pay for our tickets when I went, because uh, uh, we knew a couple of people on the catering staff that they just gave them, like, fistfuls of comp tickets. Nice. Yeah, so the whole section of Soldier Field was like people I knew. That's fun. That was fun. All right, moving on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Starring Harrison Ford. (laughs) I see what you tried to do there. (laughs) Katie Allen. Karen Allen. Karen Karen Allen. Allen. Karen Allen. Yeah. And John Rice Davies. Davies. Yes. Those are the three people that they almost cast. Yeah, he he tried to get me to say about Raiders of the Lost Ark because it's my favorite movie that it starred Tom Selleck, Maureen McCormick, and Jonathan Price. 
<laughs> and of course, when I read those names, it drove all of the real names aside from Harrison Ford out of my head. Oh. Well played. Thank you. I could see Jonathan Price being a solid like secondary character in the Raiders movies. Who do they almost cast him as? Belloc. Actually. Oh, okay. That that actually Ooh. stands. That would work. Yep. John uh, John Rice Davies was always going to be in this movie. Mm. He was cast like almost immediately. Directly out of Shogun. Oh, that's right. I have that was like one of his big bro- breakout roles. Huh. All right. I always like Jonathan Price in The Haunted Honeymoon. And then here's your long paragraph. Here we go. Harry Warren, born Salvatore Antonio Guaragna, was an American composer and lyricist, the first major American songwriter to write primarily for film. He was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Song 11 times and won three Oscars for composing Lullaby of Broadway, You'll Never Know, and On the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. He wrote the music for the first blockbuster film musical, 42nd Street, which was choreographed by Busby Berkeley, with whom he would collaborate on many musical films. Other well-known Warren hits included I Only Have Eyes for You, You Must Have Been a Beautiful Baby, Jeepers Creepers, We're in the Money, which is officially called the Gold Digger song, That's Amore, There Will Never Be Another You, The More I See You, At Last, and Chattanooga Choo Choo, the first gold record in history. Warren was one of America's most prolific film composers, and his songs have been featured in over 300 films. Over a career spanning four decades, Warren wrote more than 800 songs. He died on September 22nd in L.A. Wow. Yikes. It's a hell of a career. Chattanooga Choo Choo was the first record ever to go gold. Yep. It's huh. a great song, though. It, it is a great song. I mean, I mean, literally every song on this list that he read off was Solid. good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I never would have guessed all of those were written by the same guy. Not at all. One of the biggest names in Hollywood. You never even heard of him. Mm-hmm. Now we have. We're so learning. Thank people. you, Patrick. Thank Patrick. Harry Warren instead. Patrick taught us something. I'm going to thank Salvatore Antonio Guaragna. True. Screw you, Pat. Thank you, Val Kilmer. <laughs> All right. Chief Dan George, a chief of the Slail Wautooth Nation, was born as Geswanuth Slahut and given the English name Dan Slaholt. His surname was changed to George when he entered a residential school at age five. He was an actor, musician, poet, and author. As an actor, he is best known for portraying Old Lodge Skins opposite Dustin Hoffman in Little Big Man, for which he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and for his role in the acronym of the week, which was T-O-J-W, which I'm pretty sure stands for Taste of Joel's Wiener. (laughs) Can you confirm that, Joel? I can. So you know Chief Dan George? I do. Tasted his wiener, apparently. (laughs) He smoked on the peace pipe. Way back in 1981. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, let's not go down that road. Let's not go down that road. This was actually the outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, In which he played Lone Wattie, opposite Clint Eastwood. He died in Vancouver on September 23rd at the age of 82. You were really hoping I was going to screw up one of those names, weren't you? Maybe a little bit. 
he that's kind of his hope for every show part of the fun yeah all right so tv top shows in the land were dallas 60 minutes the jeffersons and three's company is three's company ripe for a reboot i'm not sure that the concept ages very well yeah like it would be very hard for it not to be super controversial Hmm. Yeah, they'd have to be very careful with how they did it. It's a change up the relationship and all that. I yeah. I'm just I was starting to think if you were gonna recast the John Ritter role, who would you cast? Caitlin Jenner. What about if what about this premise? Here you go. So you have three people living in an apartment and the landlord thinks they're all gay, but one of them is actually straight. Then maybe you could get away with the premise. Why? Why? Only flip it. Flip yeah. it. Why would the landlord have a problem with one of them not being gay? Because it's an all gay apartment complex. See, now we've gone back to bosom buddies. <laughs> bosom all... buddies, ripe for a reboot. <laughs> It'd be called ball buddies. <laughs> They're all crossdressers, and the landlord doesn't like that one of them is actually a woman. You know what? I, I'm just going to rescind the question all around. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to make Joel. it make sense. Yeah, see, that's I think was your first misstep right there. Let's reboot 60 Minutes instead. There you go. Uh, Robert Montgomery was an American film and television actor, director, producer, and the father of actress Elizabeth Montgomery from Bewitched Fame. He began his acting career on the stage, but was soon hired by MGM. During World War II, he drove ambulances in France until the Dunkirk evacuation. When the United States entered the war on December 8, 1941, he enlisted in the Navy and was present at the invasion of Normandy. Yikes. After the war, he returned to Hollywood, where he worked in both films and later in television, and then he died of cancer on September 27th. Yikes. Man, to be in Dunkirk and be at the Normandy invasion? Right. I wonder if he knew Rod Serling. You never know. Had brass balls, man. Seriously. Oh, you helped to you helped evacuate Dunkirk. You want to go to Normandy? Sure, why not? Our duty is to stay home. Much easier than what he had to do. Right? Yeah. I'm not complaining. Uh, all right, so Daniel Alexander Mintz, born September 25th, is an American comedian, voice actor, and writer, best known for his role as Tina Belcher on the animated show Bob's Burgers. All right. That's not Tina. Know, no, but it's still the show, and I love that. You know, I can't no, do it, you know. No, it's uh, doing uh, it. I'm a big uh, fan of his stand-up. Yeah. But. I'm not familiar with his stand-up. I'm going to check it out, I guess. I would have to look it up, yes. I know Tina's hilarious. True. Yes. Moving on, Kelly J. McCreary, born on September 29th, is an actress best known for her role on Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Mackie Pierce, the half-sister of series protagonist Meredith Grey. Hmm. That one was for Josh. Yeah, I mean, I know who she is. I watched a bunch of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Yeah. Still have not yeah. seen that show. Me either. I've seen like a half an episode here and there. Wasn't it a movie? No. Was it a movie? Well, there was a movie, yes, with Matthew Modine, but it's not based on that. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure it's still on the air. It's on like its 28th season or something stupid. Yeah. And I have I have never seen even one minute of that show somehow. Now, 
Is the movie the one where Matthew Modine delivers the baby in the on the diner counter? Is that what I'm thinking of? I don't know. Now I want to. I've never seen it, and I've never seen that scene. So let's go with yeah. That's probably the same movie. I'm thinking about Article 99 now, so I don't know. What? Another movie about doctors. Okay. Move on. All right. So born on October 3rd, Seth Gable is an actor known for his roles of Agent Lincoln Lee on Fringe. Cotton Mather on Salem and Adrian Moore on Nip Tuck. More shows I've never seen. Oh, you got to see some Fringe, man. Oh, Fringe is so good. Nip Tuck was pretty you good. Like X- yeah. You like X-Files? Yeah. We, we have this conversation every time. I know. Every time I, I say it. Why? I need to watch it. I just have it. It's just another one of those. I need to watch Westworld, too. I need to watch The Wire. I need to watch The Sopranos. All these things I need to watch. But instead, I'm watching The Office for the 18th time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I just can't stop watching it. It just it, it, You have to break the habit. Once you break the habit, you're good. But if you don't, it's a vicious cycle. It just keeps going. It's not a bad thing, but it will keep going. And, and then I just go back to Parks and Rec when I'm tired of The Office. So, I don't know. Can't wait to throw the good place back in that mix. You should jump into 30 Rock again. <laughs> oh, I've done that already three times. Anyway, moving on to sports. Serena Williams, American professional tennis player who has been ranked number one in the world on five different occasions from 2002 through 2010, was born September 22nd or 26th in Saginaw, Michigan. Hmm. And lastly, on September 24th, the largest crowd ever to attend a Greyhound racing event in the United States, 21,000 people, turned out at Southland Greyhound Park in West Memphis, Arkansas, wagering $1.3 million on the racing dogs. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of kibble. It's a lot of bunnies. Do they still use live bunnies? No. Oh. They still use live dogs? Yes. Oh. That's going to do it for the tweet. Play us off keyboard, Joel. Dun-dun-dun-dun. All right, so Danger Mouse. Back in 1981, show was released. It's a British, if you have not seen it, British animated television series produced by Cosgrove Hall Films for Thames Television. You would know them. They always have the picture of the Thames River and it rises, Thames rises up. Parody of British of spy films, particularly Danger Man, which was played by Patrick's, one of Patrick's favorites, Patrick McGowan and James Bond. Cosgrove Hall was an animating group that was responsible for such classics as Grandma Bricks of Swallow Street, <laughs> The Reluctant Dragon. <laughs> I dated her. <laughs> you dated Grandma Bricks? Of Sw- yeah, of Swallow Street. <laughs> um, <laughs> this Avenger Penguins, which is, imagine if What's a biker gang TV show, Joel? Sons, Sons of, Anarchy. of Anarchy. Imagine if they're all penguins. And that's Avenger Penguins. Huh. The Reluctant Dragon. I said that one already. Wind in the Willows did some classic books. They also did Welcome to Discworld and Soul Music and Weird Sisters, which are all Terry Pratchett books, which is great stuff because I'm a huge Terry Pratchett film. They were also responsible for Bob the Builder. Can he fix it? Yes, he can. Uh, the, the, the thing that Bobby Bill was on 1998 to 2009. 
Holy cat. And also the webcast animated reconstruction of Doctor Who's The Invasion and the televised serial The Infinite Quest. And Scream of the Shalka. Okay. Sorry. Missed that. It's currently 2008. They did something called Squidge and the Hard Nuts. Which is the sequel to Grandma Bricks of Swallow Street. I dated her too. <laughs> Which one? Squidge or the Hard Nuts? Both. What are you... <laughs> It's like, what are your kids watching? Squidge and the Hard Nuts. You're not a very good parent, are you? What are you? <laughs> British names, TV show names. We, I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Are very, I don't know. They're either direct and to the point of like two people in chairs talking, or Squidge and the Hard Nuts. I think Robert Montgomery. That was his nickname, Hard Nuts. So, uh, June fourth in 1984. This was the first. British cartoon to appear on Nickelodeon hmm. and was one of the earliest British cartoons to go into syndication in the United States. It appealed apparently to both preteens and adults with its quick witted in- English humor. Is that where you saw it? Was on Nick? I saw it on Nickelodeon. Yeah, that's when okay. I started watching it. Uh, before dinner, we'd, you know, getting everything ready, we'd watch, have that on in the background and watch that. They, some people have compared it to Rocky and Bullwinkle due to gentle satire of politics and outrageous plots. In the UK, Channel 4's did a 100 Greatest Kids TV shows, and this came in third, beaten only by The Muppet Show and The Simpsons. That's good company. True. I have to look up what number four was. The show was expensive to make, and all hand drawings, at least 2,000 drawings per show to get over that. They uh, reused footage, as you do in the animation business, and they were also do things like having episodes where people would be in a dark room and just have completely black with eyeballs, and they actually, in Danger Mouse's case, they have confirmed that they drew him with an eye patch to have to do less drawing. They went to the Hanna-Barbera School of Animation. Yay. When you when you gotta crank out this this many shows in a week, you know, it's, they said they would they would record three shows a day when they would go into work. Right. Who needs quality when you can have quantity? Right? Right. So this is directed by Brian Cosgrove, Keith Scoble, and Chris Randall. Brian Cosgrove carrying the majority of the episodes with seventy of them. Cast Danger Mouse and multiple other voices were including the narrator were done by David Jason. I don't know if you guys would recognize him if you're not into more British shows. He was in a TV show that went from 1981 to 2003 called Only Fools and Horses. Uh, He was in a a television adaptation of Terry Pratchett's The Color of Magic, where he played Rincewind the Wizard. And also in uh, The Hogfather, uh, the Christmas movie my family watches every year. Where oh, Santa, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Where Santa Claus, it, people stop believing in Santa Claus, so death, death takes over, and becomes Santa Claus. Yep, very Christmassy. He plays Death's assistant in that one. That explains the carcass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've got it. Terry Scott does the voice of Penfold the hamster, and he's known for this. Is really strange. He's known for a lot of movies all starting it's almost like the um Adam and Costello road movies like they did like road to 
wherever. He has a bunch of movies called Carry On. So it's Carry On Up the Khyber, Carry On Camping, Carry On Up the Jungle, and Carry On Henry VIII. Another one. One of these things is not like the other. Carry On at Your Convenience. There's a bunch of others. I mean, this is like a whole series of movies that he was in. So I'm going to have to try and dig these up because they look awful. (laughs) You sound like me. I'll look this up. This looks terrible. Yeah, this is awful, awful stuff. Edward Kelsey did the voice of Colonel K. The guinea pig? Not even sure what he was. Whatever animal Colonel K was. Brian Truman did the voice of Stiletto, the crow. And Jimmy Hibbert uh, did the voice of Dr. Augustus P. Crumhorn III. What you can't see on here is on the uh, stuff that I copied over for the notes is there's etc. on this. Every voice in the show for how many for God, it was on from 10, 10 seasons, 81 to 92. Every single voice on this show was voiced by these five guys. There were no female cast members. Not as far as I saw everybody in uh, the show was voiced by these five guys. And there's, if you look on YouTube, you can find a couple where they're, they're showing they cut between the TV show and them actually in the studio doing the voiceovers. And that's always fun. But yeah, so Danger Mouse, some trivia on this one. During the Gulf War, David Jason met someone in a pub who worked at RAF Command Headquarters. He told Jason that they race three-wheel vans against each other, paint them yellow with Trotter's independent traders down the sides of them, like the van from Only Fools and Horses. Jason went down to have a look, but he didn't see any races. Jason, Nicholas Linehurst, and Buster Merrifield sent a Trotter's van out to Kuwait. They slipped it into a Hercules plan, amongst the other stuff, on a supply run. When it was unloaded, the crew would find the van filled with chewing gum, toothpaste, cakes, Danger Mouse, and Count Ducula videotapes from Brian Crosgrove with the labels saying Debbie Does Dallas and Unzipperdy Doodah and all sorts of <laughs> things on them to amuse them. Jason didn't get any publicity because he didn't want anyone to think that it was for that, but it was a private joke between the RAF and the Trotters. The van was put in the hold, covered up with medical supplies and ammunition, and then flew to Kuwait, where it was delivered to the uh, troops. Unzipperty doo dozipperty yay. Kind of a weird story. Also, when Danger Mouse was shown in the U.S., the channel that screened it wanted the villain's accent of Stiletto changed from Italian to English Cockney because it might offend Italian-Americans. What about the Cockneys? <laughs> Apparently nobody cares. Um, uh, they also got rid of his last name because his name was actually Stiletto Mafioso in the translation over. And also aerial shots of the mailbox headquarters in some episodes show that they live right outside of Sherlock Holmes on Baker Street. I saw the the Baker Street thing, but I was wondering if they were going to tie that in. That's clever. Yeah, I missed that. Yeah. So, I'm the only one that's ever seen this. I I believe so. Enjoyed this as a child. I don't remember seeing it as a kid. I I knew it existed. I mean, before you brought it up, but I don't think I ever saw an episode. I'd never even heard of it. Really? Yeah. See, apparently, I mean, the more I read into it, it was huge in great britain yeah like right behind simpsons and the muppets huge in great britain which you know i didn't know it ran for 10 seasons 
Yeah, when he when I looked at the the notes, I went to go double check IMDb to see whether that was accurate. Because I was like, did it really run that long? That's accurate. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. What's your thoughts? Well, I made it through five episodes, even though there were like, what, 12 minutes each or so? That yeah. Sounds about right. They're fairly short. I'm assuming they had two episodes per episode with commercials, but I didn't get it. I mean, granted, I didn't see it as a kid, so maybe if I had those lenses on, I might have had a slightly different opinion of it, you know, like the whole Voltron effect. But I didn't, I don't get the appeal, I guess I should say. I'm kind of where Joel's at. It's funny that he talks about, like, feels he would have had a different take on it if it was something from his childhood. Because I definitely think that if I applied the same criteria that are the reasons why I didn't enjoy this to any cartoon from my childhood, those cartoons probably don't pass. So uh, I I can get that out of the way and say that, that that's probably a thing. One of the things, though, is I, I had a few things going for it. In my opinion, it has uniformly good character design and uniformly good voice acting. The problem is, is the animation is terrible. Yes. Yes. Like embarrassingly bad in some places the drawings are just not well done there's a ton reused there's a stylistic choice which was irritating to me the putting words up on the screen oh almost like the batman pow and that sort of thing yeah but that's a stylistic choice and kind of a nitpick and uh in general the stories even for 11 minutes were pretty bad like, I think that there is an apt comparison with uh, at least the storytelling to uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, where I think if I sat down and really analyzed Rocky and Bullwinkle, the stories in those cartoons probably aren't any better. So, yeah, I, I did not enjoy this. But I don't want to shit on it too much because the character design for both the main two guys and every one of the little villains and side characters are solid. Like I, I got what they were going for. And I thought that in general, like danger mouse looks cool. The main, whatever money bags or frog. Oh, uh, uh, greenback, greenback, greenback's a cool character design. So it's not an entirely like there was nothing of value for me here. I just didn't like watching it. Patrick. I can't even, I mean, I can't even draw up enough energy to hate on this. It was just so, bland i mean i watched four episodes and i didn't laugh once the theme song was annoying i didn't like the animation the jokes fell flat they they were trying way too hard to be funny and it just and and like a lot of the stuff that they were writing it was not even it was not it was it was like such old school vaudeville jokes badly done the characters you know they looked good i guess you know like you said the character design was very solid and Uniform, I guess. I didn't care for the the voice acting much. I didn't like the voice of the evil guy. I don't know why. It just kind of grated on me. And the the Italian sidekick was, you know, borderline one dimensional racist. But I mean, not, it really wasn't. But it was it, it it was definitely like you know treading that that line. I, just, I don't know. They were just I I didn't find much to enjoy about it. Well, I think the 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 thing with the character design is that it they did have kind of an iconic look to them and if they would have had 
solid writing or different writing and possibly a, a slight bump in animation. It might've been something more, but I think one of the things that kind of threw me off is that there was such a big kind of hole between like, there's an episode where Greenback has a giant chicken that's laying eggs and terrorizing the city. And the chicken looks like a more or less like a real chicken, but then the characters themselves look like cartoons and it kind of was jarring and it didn't look like, you know, like a, true chicken but it looked more like a chicken i did not care for the character of penfield at all it just it, w- it was like this the same shtick every episode was oh when i'm nervous i do this when i'm nervous i do that when i'm nervous i do this it's like yeah we get it you know like why would you even be this guy's sidekick <laughs> i don't know well i'm curious though with mike because him being the only one that has any real tie to this I'm hoping this didn't crush his childhood. How did you feel going back to see it? Oh, my childhood has been crushed in more and more ways than this. <laughs> Hell bunny. No, how did, how did you feel about it when you went back to revisit it? Well, here's the thing is that I have a lot of memories of enjoying the show in very short bursts, apparently. Because I remember very small part scenes of whole shows that made me laugh. Because growing up, I had a British sense of humor. So there were some parts that really hit my funny bone for that. Pat, what you were saying about the old school vaudevillian, I mean, this is the same, this was out in like the same time that we were watching Benny Hill. I think that was just thematically the type of humor that was popular in Great Britain at the time. Yeah, you, I, I think you're 100% right. I just, I, there are many, many other forms of it I would prefer to watch if I'm going to watch some British comedy rather than this show. I think there are a lot of shows that did it very, very much better. I agree with you. And what Josh said about the animation, it is crap. Again, it's one of those where you look backwards and you don't remember, you know, when you're a kid, you're not paying attention to the animation. You know, you're not paying attention to pretty much anything except for what's going on with the characters. But the art design is cool. I think Danger Mouse as a character is very, is pretty sweet. You know, the eye patch penfold. Do they ever explain where his powers come from? Powers? Powers. Yeah, like he can fly through the air. He can go into space. I mean, there, there's a million things. He he can pretty much do anything anytime he wants. He can beat up machines. I'd say those are definite powers, yeah. They may not be like, you know, the power to melt steel with your eyes, but he's definitely, like, you know, above being a normal mouse. Can we agree on that? Were you watching Mighty Mouse? <laughs> I mean, he's got, like, secret agent martial arts kind of crap that's exaggerated because it's a cartoon. And I mean, I don't know. I, I give it a pass when most cartoon car- like when Bugs Bunny goes into space. I don't usually wonder how that worked. <laughs> no, yeah. but I'm just saying, did they ever expl- explain what makes him? No, because danger he's mouse dang- and what, be- your danger mouse and danger mackerel and all these other danger ones. Why is he the mouse that was chosen? All right, well, I guess I just want too much backstory for this character, so never mind. Pat's digging too deep on this one. You know, it's you're. I think think about who this was made for. I just I, I thought I wanted an origin story. I'm sorry. Like I, if we just get thrown into the fact that he's Danger Mouse and that's all there is to it. And I was yeah. like, okay, well, how does he have all these Danger Mouse powers? Because he's Danger Mouse. See, that's how that so, works. Yeah, yeah, it's that's that's just great writing. Done. Did it bug anybody else that the theme song didn't rhyme? It, the whole theme song bugged me. Yeah, like I actually liked the uh, catchy theme song and like the melody. 
But every time you get to the last line and I realize it's not rhyming with the second line, it just throws me. And this might just be before that was a rule. It leaves you feeling off. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the greatest. I mean, it's not lyrically, it's not the greatest theme song. Mu- Music-wise, it's it's good music. It's good, like, like 80s spy TV show music. You know, it's straight up. I mean, this is one of those moments where I, I was sorry. I watched like maybe 10, 20 episodes of this. And as I got deeper and deeper into it, as I was watching it, just like I did when I was a kid watching it while I was making dinner and stuff. I'm like, maybe I had lead in the paint in my room. <laughs> maybe, you know what? I mean, I know I enjoyed it, but and, and I'm just sticking with the, well, I mean, your kid, your I enjoyed sensibility, it. Yeah. Your sensibilities change and everything and your likes and your, everything changes when you get older. I mean, but I also think that this is partial to my eventually learning to appreciate uh, Monty Python. This is kind of like my gateway drug to uh, to English humor. Cause yeah, I, see, I, I think that's part of my problem is I was already watching Monty Python at this point because my dad introduced me to all that shit when I was, you know, very young. So I guess because I got to already move on to Monty Python, I didn't need the stepping stone. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, and I think when you think about British humor, you know, I grew up with Benny Hill, Money Python, Faulty Towers, uh, Red Dwarf, you know, so I know they're capable of being funny, but. Oh, they're doing a Red Dwarf um, reunion. I know. I'm excited. Yeah. So, you know, when I know that's capable, when they're capable of doing that, and then you see this and it feels kind of sloppy. I kind of want to do the red dwarf thing because i want to see what pat thinks about it i've always wanted to watch it so yeah yeah it's it's again it's british tv which i american tv and british tv are two completely different things yes like acceptance of writing and acceptance of like the fact that they only have like 50 actors but a thousand different costumes and like 25 dollar budget yeah but i still enjoyed it for the memory of watching it but at the same time i was like this is definitely not as good as I had it in my head. Did it feel like Voltron a little bit? A little. It was a little Voltroni. It was a little Voltroni, but it it was, but it wasn't. It was like it's that whole. This isn't as good as I thought it was going to be, but at the same time, it's really not as bad as Voltron was. Yeah. Well, at least here they created the stories, the animation, and everything as a. It was all original, and they weren't piecing together from original source material trying to make it make sense so there you did have that going for it yeah again like i said earlier you know i i didn't hate this or love it it just kind of was just there i just i watched it and it and after like four or five i think it was i was in the middle of the fifth episode where i was like yeah i think i'm done yeah i've gotten as much as this i want now i i do have to say some of the the things that i did enjoy was the fact that the narrator broke the fourth wall quite often and there's a couple episodes later on where he's just like this is too stupid i'm not even going to narrate this i'm out and but that could be funny as long as it's not overused right it doesn't happen often i do enjoy the titles uh season five they had the long lost crown affair (laughs) you know next uh, the you know the aliens are coming the man from gadget versus you know for the man from uncle something called tampering with time tickles which could be something else what was the other one afternoon off with the fang boner yeah that was definitely something different 
yeah, that was a. <laughs> apparently, there's <laughs> Fang Boner was a monster in Danger Mouse that I don't remember, but quite possibly my favorite title of any one of the episodes has got to be season six Beware of Mexicans Delivering Milk. That's what I ordered. And this is where I, because I was jumping around, I went to this one because I remembered something about milk and it really messed with my head a little bit because I'm trying, don't remember also, but there's a Mexican bank thief who's suddenly delivering milk, which I never explained, Pat, so don't get into the background on that. But when he delivers the milk, he's a human, but he's as big as Penfold. And he's delivering the milk to that little brick that pops up when they get out, when they leave. But when they're in the safe at the Bank of England, they're all like full size. So. What a surprise that they would be sloppy. I know. Duckula meets Frankenstoat. This this is very much, I think the, the comparison was apt. I think it was Josh made it earlier about... Hanna Barbera, you know, I mean, it's a very apt comparison. Lazy oh, yeah. animation, lazy writing. The jokes are just, just feel like they're just too. They're working too hard. They're trying too hard to be funny. They're not just being natural about it. And they're, and they're either going to be like forced jokes, or they're going to be like really old vaudeville type jokes. Like, it's a living. Take my wife, please. See, you made me laugh there, Pat. That was that was funny. Any other opinions on this one? Oh, no. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I can check it off my list. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I don't hate it. I mean, I'm not mad that I watched it or anything. It just seemed like it was kind of, okay, it was just kind of there. Yeah. I mean, it's you're right. It's a British Hanna-Barbera. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes I was frustrated by wanting to see better for these characters. Like, it felt like wasted potential. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, just, it felt like this was not as good as the sum of its parts. Because I know a lot of these names. I know a lot of the stuff they've done. I don't know. But you know what they've done now that we're in 2020? Yeah, maybe. This is what they were doing when they were just getting launched, when they were starting up. That's a good point. You well, know, it's... everybody's got to start somewhere. Right. And if it's 10 years making a, making a mouse spy TV show. I still want a background fucking episode. I want to know his fucking story. And it is a little hard to compare this after we've come off of the TNG Picard episode to move on to this. So it is a bit of a whiplash, yeah. Yeah. A it's, it's a cleansing of the palate. <laughs> yeah. So to speak. All right. So I guess we're done with this one. And uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about the 2015 reboot of Danger Mouse. And apparently Colonel K is a chinchilla. Oh. That's what I was, I, I was going to say it, but I couldn't remember what it was. I, I liked your guinea pig theory, though. Well, it looks like one of two of the animals I have running around the house, so. So for the now, Danger Mouse 2015.
going back in 2013, a company called Fremantle Media confirmed to a broadcast magazine that they were going to update Danger Mouse. And a new series of 52 episodes was being broadcast for the CBBC, produced by Boulder Media for Boat Rocker Media, who acquired Fremantle Media. And there's a list of like just I, I, I started digging into these and it's just like lists and lists of media companies. So anyway, it is like directed him. by biblical. Robert Cullen. What's that? That's biblical. Almost, right? And Fremantle begat whatever and begat. Anyway, <laughs> it is. Directed by Robert Cullen, with Brian Cosgrove as one of the original creators, being a creative consultant. Main characters, again, Danger Mouse, world's greatest secret agent. He's a bit vain, which sometimes leads him to take actions that create unnecessarily risky situations. Now, I'm adding these in there because there's actually backgrounds to these guys now, Patrick. Yay! Yay! So Penfold is a hamster. Works as Danger Mouse's assistant. Cowardly, very meek, known for shouting, oh, crumbs, when frightened. This version is not as misinterpretive as his original counterpart. So he's always a coward. Colonel K is a chinchilla, who we've just recently discovered that he is a chinchilla. Wasn't sure what he was, but he serves as Danger Mouse and Penfield's boss. Return of Danger K. It's revealed that the colonel was once an agent himself called Danger K. And the running gag throughout the show is that he either forgets Penfold's name or who the hell he actually is. He is kind of forgettable. Yes. Professor Squawk and Cluck, Chicken, who is Chief Scientist of the Secret Service. Which is a great name, by the way. It is. And I love Shauna McDonald. If you've ever seen The Descent, you might know who Shauna McDonald is. That's the, the one where they go into the hole and there's all the golems down there? Yep. Yes, I've seen She's that. She's the lead. Okay. Baron Silas von Greenback is the main antagonist and criminal mastermind and has a new voice. This one. Nero is the white caterpillar whose intelligence and cunning is often underestimated. Stiletto Mafiosa is Greenback's now Italian again crow sidekick. The narrator, as with the original series, an unseen character breaks the fourth wall and interacts with both the viewer and the other characters and often finds himself in danger from the episode's antagonist. And also Jeopardy Mouse. Joel, you had commented about no, Joel or Josh commented on no female voices in the uh, old one. Female American equivalent of Danger Mouse. She works under orders from General Enormous Schwartznut. <laughs> How they got that one through for a kid's show. Right. Uh, she performs her missions professionally and without fuss, but has a tendency to be overbearing. And uh, this is voiced by, I don't know, I'm not 100% how to say her last name, but Lena Hetty. Yep. And I was waiting for Josh or Patrick to mention her. Yep. She played Cersei Lannister on Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. and mm-hmm. she was Mama on Judge Dredd. Yeah, and she's in a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah. She's yep. in Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, also. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So she's got a little bit of her. Oh, and uh, Dread, 2012's Dread. She was Mama. Yeah. Did said. you just say that? Oh, I did. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> so Alexander Armstrong does the voice of Danger Mouse. He is also known for some other shows like Armstrong and Miller, Scoop, and something called Plunkett and McLean. Yeah. Oh, Plunkett and McLean is great. It is. It's good stuff. What is that? I'm familiar with it. Yeah. 
go on. Okay, well, we're just going to stay on, stay unfamiliar yeah. with it. Yeah. Fine, fuck you. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to know if you paid me what? now. Well, how do you say, oh, yeah, that's a great show. Well, tell me about it. No. I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the Johnny Lee Miller, Robert Carlyle, like they're grave robbers. Oh, yeah, okay. I, oh, yeah. The one, yeah, okay, Liv Tyler's in that one, too. Yeah, yeah, that's the one where they're high, high women. Okay, cool. I'll have to dig that one up, then. <laughs> uh, Kevin Eldon does the voice of Penfold. If you do not know him, uh, he was in, he was one of the, he was a sergeant, Tony Fisher in Hot Fuzz. And he was also, if you've watched, if any of you have watched Black Books, I think, I know Pat hasn't. Nope. Josh, I think you have? Josh yes, has. I've seen almost the whole run. Okay, he's the cleaner. Okay. Yeah, so. Also, Dave Lamb is the narrator for 99 episodes now. He's known for some stuff from called Dark Ages, Bleak Old Shop of Stuff. Sounds like a real uplifting program. I, I think I think it's kind of similar to remember the old uh, Friday the 13th TV show where there's like the cursed, cursed items. Yeah. yeah, I think it may be something like that. Stephen Fry does the voice of Colonel K. Sean McDonald does the voice of Professor Squawk and Cluck, as Joel had said. Ed Gogan does Baron Greenback, and they changed his voice on this one. Yes, quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and he is Ed Gogan. I went over and I looked at his stuff. I'm like, he's known for playing somebody named Davis in a movie called Skeletons and also playing the French policeman in Fantastic Beasts, The Crime of the Oh, yeah, French policeman. I remember that. I never saw the movie. <laughs> He was the guy that said, oh, ho, ho, ho. Magic, uh-huh. I see, uh-huh. What the hell is wrong with you people? Yeah. <laughs> and Mark Silk does the voice of Nero, the caterpillar. Uh, some trivia. Kevin Eldon, Marwina Banks, and uh, also worked together on the TV show called Damned as Martin and Ingrid, respectively. Is that their last name? <laughs> Martin, respectively, and Ingrid, yeah. Ingrid respectively. <laughs> Martin and Ingrid. Yeah. They brought a casserole. Remember? Last time they brought that jello mold. It was so good. It had the little little pineapple bits in it. They bought you boots yeah. when you were four. <laughs> so, I remember. <laughs> uh it was announced on December twenty sixteen that there was going to be a live stage show based on the TV series in twenty seventeen. And I looked and I looked to find any sort of video on this. I could not find anything. The show is being produced by Fremantle Media, who created the series, and produced by Butlin's Holiday Park, where it'll tour around all three of its park from Easter 2017 until January 2018, and the show is called Robomop. I looked for something online that would be what this sounds to be the hot mess that this is. I could find nothing. I did, however, order a new vacuum cleaner. Oh. Yeah, got one. So. Time well spent then. I know, right? In July 2017, they released a Danger Mouse mobile game for iOS and Google Play Store. It's a multiplayer racing battle game with card trading. Nominated for Best Mobile Game at the Gamescom Awards, but lost to Metroid Samus Returns. 
was nominated for Best Racing Game at the Independent Game Developers Association Award for 2018, but lost to F1. I don't understand this because I downloaded it, and it's a piece of shit. Huh. It is probably one of the worst games. It's, it's probably one of the worst games I've ever played on my phone. Wow. Yeah. I know you play a lot of games on your phone, on your commute. When I had one. But yeah, no, I oh, mean, I was gonna say, you don't have a phone anymore. <laughs> it took me a second. <laughs> How did you call me today then? That's all the trivia I have, really. Those last two things I had to dig up because there was only like literally two items of trivia on the TV show on IMDb. So the reboot. Uh, I'm just going to kick this off with a massive spoiler. Almost every issue I had with the original show was fixed by the reboot. The animation was great, and the uh, stories, which were the big problem with the original, were actually completely reasonable in this. I pretty much 100% agree with you. I um, I didn't hardly laugh. I mean, I'm not going to say this was like, you know, exquisite or anything, but it was 100% better than the original. And it wasn't until like episode three where I really did actually laugh. And that episode was pretty good. The one where the toilets come to life. I don't know if any of you guys, you guys saw that one. Yeah, I saw it. Pla- Planet of the Toilets. Yeah. I mean, it, the the speech that the toilet gave when he came to life actually made me laugh pretty hard because it was just it, it took actual apparent, apparent real toilet humor to make me laugh in the show. So. <laughs> But the, the stupid little puns and double entendres the toilet was dropping as he was talking just, I, I mean, it, it made me laugh. Spoiler, I agree with you both. This is, this is what I remember watching. In my, <laughs> in my head, this, is, this show is what I remember watching when I was a kid. So it sounds like so far this is sort of like the British equivalent of Voltron. Yeah. Where the original is shitty, you go back and you're like, oh no, childhood ruined. And then it lives up to the potential of what you thought it had always been when you see the new one. Yes. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. The only problem I had with this, because I agree with you, the, you know, the art was much better. It felt like it was trying too hard to be like, like the My Little Pony recent thing or, you know, Powerpuff Girls or whatever it's trying to be. Yeah. A lot of the humor felt like it was trying too hard for sure. Yeah, it it, sell, it still felt flat to me because it felt like they were trying too much to make it hip and, you know, so that the kids would catch on to it, you know, the adult kids, and they'd be like, oh, this is a, you know, this great thing and pop culture references and whatever, and it just it didn't, it didn't work. But it looked really pretty, and it was leaps and bounds from the original. Oh, and I mean, the, the oh. voice acting was, was better as far as I'm concerned, and I'm a big Stephen Fry fan, so that was a, a nice upgrade. Before we get too far away from Joel's point, I want to directly respond. Do so. I'm sort of curious when you talk about the humor being forced. If you impose the same standards that you put this show to, to something like DuckTales, which we all said we liked, how does DuckTales fare? I did not Mm -hmm. say I liked DuckTales to be... Oh, okay. Fair enough. I I stand corrected. I did. I, I, I thought DuckTales was on point. But I, if, I if you're applying the same standards with regards to whether the humor is trying too hard, do you think DuckTales honestly fares any better? Because I, personally, I don't. 
I found DuckTales to be more enjoyable and it it hit it hit what it was trying to hit for kids and adults. Whereas this, I felt like they were trying to do that and they just kind of fell somewhere in the middle and it didn't work. Like the jokes for, you know, the older people didn't land and the jokes for the kids felt they didn't seem to stick either. Like I didn't find any real, I didn't know who they were going for with the audience. It felt like they were trying to figure it out and they weren't getting anybody to me, but that's just me. Sure. Yeah. No, it's, I wanted to hear your perspective, even though we disagree. And I felt like both of them were kind of forced. So I don't think that, you know, <laughs> so we're all on different sides of the, 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 the spectrum here. I hate to say defending both Joel and Josh, the comedy is better, but it is still a little bit forced. It is still a little bit like, ah, you know, Hey, we're making a joke here. Yeah, that's ex- almost exactly how it feels. Like, like, like every time they tell a joke, they're just kind of winking at you, going, "Huh, huh, huh." I agree with you. And that's sometimes, sometimes they got to do that. I mean, it's well, know, that, that's it, a very vaudeville type thing again. I mean, and I think that's probably because that this show is rooted in in vaudeville. Honestly, the that type of almost slapsticky type of humor. So it's more of a, more of a, a nod to the old than it is. They can't get out, get away from it. It's like, hey, this is there was always that fourth wall breaking wink of it, and a little bit of like, I mean, a little bit of Punch and Judy type of humor, you know, like lots of explosions, lots of violence, lots of hitting, a lot of self-referential, you know, look at the audience and wink kind of stuff. Yeah, and right off the beginning, like the very first episode, they they drop a line where like, if you don't like silly, you're on the wrong show. Yeah, yeah, they're very they're very self-aware. That's there's no denying that. But I think they take it a little too far sometimes as as far as like they're aware how silly they are, but they instead of just doing it like Monty Python does, they have to do it and then go, huh, huh, wasn't that silly? Well, I think it is because of the the first one being kind of self-referential. Like I said, I'm still I'm, I, I enjoyed this one. The first one I watched was uh, Dark Dawn. The one where the teenager, Pink Dawn, becomes yeah. a teenager and she does, or I'll flip my hair at you. Yeah. Now, having having teenagers, I laugh my ass off at this one. I missed that episode. Oh, it's. And I will admit the bit with every single adult character crying when their teddy bears got. Uh, got turned around. Got yeah, turned got, evil. Uh, animated and turned evil. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was maybe a little bit of the forced humor that Pat's talking about. Yeah, but I mean, think about it again. It's this isn't aimed at us. This is aimed at kids who are going to laugh at. Oh, the dad! Look at that. The adults are crying because they're missing their teddy bear. That's funny, you know. Now I'm laughing at the teddy bear making the girls say that she's super sorry or whatever that sort of thing. As I'm looking at my girls and going, "That's you. That's who this. You are that person. You know. That's who they're mocking. They're mocking you. They're this is you. You welcome, welcome to older life. There, <laughs> you are now a parody of yourself. The Admiral Penfold and the second season where they wind up cutting the island in half and Penfold and uh, Baron are shipwrecked on one side of the island and Danger Mouse and Stiletto are on the other was kind of fun. That was a good one. So that was the second season. Yes. I had a hard time finding the first season of the reboot and I don't know why. I did too. Oh, okay. Not just me then. No, no, no. It's on Netflix. Well, that's that explains it. I was watching it on... CBS. As was yeah. I. Damn no, you, it's, CBS. It's right there on Netflix. 
Well, I'll have to go over there now. So many options. I do like the art better on this one. A hundred percent love the art. Yeah, it's it's very pretty to look at. Like it's very well animated. And on one side of it, I I, I don't want to like discount the fact that the art looks really good on this one. But at the same time, the speed of animation and the ability to animate has become a lot easier in the last forty years. <laughs> These are not hand drawn cells, so I kind of give a pass for the old one on this one. And the new one, I'm like, this is beautiful, but I know you've got a ton of tech behind it. But I'm still liking the liking the animation and the characters in this one. Well, yeah, I, I got a bit more respect for the original when you talked about that it was all hand drawn. I mean that. It takes a lot of effort. I have a lot of people. So, yeah, I give him credit for that, for sure, especially doing it as long as he did. And they keep going with the ridiculous titles, too. So Ernest Penfold and the Half-Price Wand, Live and Let Cry, Lost Tempers in Space. My personal favorite for season two, Big Trouble in Little Clown Town. <laughs> They're self-referential. They do the not in the wink type of thing, but I... I enjoyed this more because in my brain, like I said before, in my brain, it was like, this is what I remember. This is the cool thing that I remember from back in 1984 when I was watching it. Yeah, and if this had been the one from 1981, I would love to see the remake now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I don't, I hate to turn this into another one where we're all like the, you know, we all enjoyed the second half, but we're all enjoy something and don't have anything bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's a cartoon for kids. That's the worst I can say for it. Where I think one of the positives for me for the original was they were 11 minute episodes because I just kind of wanted to get them over with. With this, with 11 minute episodes, it meant I could get more of them in. Mm -hmm. I was knocking these out while I was watching. Well, I was watching these knocking them out while I was making dinner. And I was, you know, it was perfect for cleaning, you know, whenever just put it on and kind of keep it in the background it was perfect yeah did any of you get to roll the mice did five episodes of whatever was on cbs so i don't know if i okay which one that was i think we all i watched the whole first season on netflix so we watched completely different stuff so roll the mice together with jeopardy mouse hazard mouse and danger cash danger mouse finds himself trapped inside a game of dangers and dragons and Penfold has to play the game against the danger agent's captor. So there's a there's a D and D episode in this one. Huh. Neat. Well, this very much was the the Voltron effect, you know, where the original wasn't what we remembered, and the remake was like you said, and what we had talked about on that episode was what we remembered. Yeah, exactly. This is this is the fun enjoyment that I got from this back then before I knew what animation was eventually going to become. So thumbs up, thumbs down. Eh? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is going to be a clean sweep, but I'll kick us off with a thumbs down for the original and a thumbs up for the remake. Uh, I'm not 100% I can give a full thumbs up to the remake, but... If given the choice. It's not a thumbs down, though. So I guess I would... I'm not going to do a thumbs sideways. I'm not going to waste a... Well, maybe I will. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going thumbs sideways. I'm going the odd. Rarely seen thumbs sideways. Is it, though? (laughs) 
No, I've got. Uh, I'm, not... <sighs> I'm flip okay. It's a, relu- it's a reluctant thumbs up. How about that? Okay. I'll give it. I'll give it the thumbs up, but it's it's it barely 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 made it. For the original, I that's a thumbs down. For the remake, as much as I like the animation, I didn't get anything more out of it really other than that so i'm probably gonna go thumbs down on that as well see for me i want to thumbs down the then but technically i want to thumbs down it for introducing me to cool characters i'm giving it a thumbs up the idea of this mouse mouse secret agent and all that and then i'm giving a big thumbs up to the new one for the fact that it finally it took what I remembered and turned it into something palatable. So there's me. Now if I could just get the damn theme song out of my head. Going on repeat. Yeah, I've had it stuck in my head for the last couple of hours too. It's my ringtone. It's definitely a better theme song. I mean they they did everything better in this in this remake uh, in all honesty but i mean to be dickish about it everything was so bad in the first one they had nowhere to go but up yeah i didn't see any fight scenes that were just a 70s dance-off repeated the same three frames over and over five minutes right an 11 minute episode are you talking about the big cat robot thing yes that was an especially bad reusing animation let's Oh. Starts playing disco and then like the same three moves get repeated like seven times. Duck the head, lift the leg, turn to the right, boogie down. <laughs> That's how you beat the final boss. Got to get the pattern. Right mm-hmm. foot now stomp. Left foot now stomp. <laughs> no, no. Crisscross. <laughs> no. No. Ah, <laughs> uh, so Joel, what do we got coming up? Uh, next week we're gonna sit around and talk about some furniture. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I just I'm reading forward into these episodes. There's Henemy of the State. Professor Squawk and Cluck quits the danger agency to go work with her idol, Elon Muskrat, leaving Danger Mouse without any gadgets. That's that's actually pretty clever. That's really clever. Nice. So if uh, you want to give us a call, let us know how wrong we were about how bad the original Danger Mouse was. First, I recommend you watch it. And then, <laughs> Second, I recommend you shut your face. But then you can call us and let us know if we were right or wrong. at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And uh, looking for our older stuff, iTunes, podcasts, Google Podcasts, find us all over. You can get on... Pod Chaser, find us there. You can also go on to our Discord and join the Chitty Chat. Let's see what's there right now. What's going on on the fans' chat? Texan B was the last thing, I think. Uh, it's like a gelatinous cube floating above Seattle. <laughs> no, it's it's a, was a Funko Pop that they released. It's a, a gelatinous cube. A slime uh, from Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, a gelatinous cube. Yeah, okay. Okay. I remember what it's called. I dated her, too. <laughs> Jesus. Arr, there'd be a gelatinous cube at the door. <laughs> Let him in. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And and we will be back next week with more of this. 
<laughs> more podcasting. Why is my beer already gone? Because you drank it? Hooray! Oh yeah, that's how that works. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.